Good morning. My name is John from Dearborn Heights. Been an Al-Anon for a long time. Uh, I never would have ended up an Al-Anon if it wasn't for relationship problems. <laughs> what a surprise. And uh, uh, so I talk a lot about the relationship between me and Marianne. And uh, because I do that, we bring up a lot of things. I think a lot of people like to sneak a peek at Marianne once in a while. That's her in the red right in the front there. So <laughs> she kind of expects this. I don't ordinarily talk about it, but there she is. Uh, again, I had no desire or no knowledge of Al-Anon until getting into a relationship. And Marianne and I met on a blind date, and would you believe we met in a bar? Well, I guess you would believe that, wouldn't you? <laughs> and uh, uh, we had a very romantic relationship, very romantic. I mean, right from the beginning, I just loved her. She was terrific, uh, smart, you know, well-dressed, and I mean, all kind of the good sense of humor. And I, the fact that she drank a few drinks when we met in the bar and other places didn't bother me a bit. In fact, I thought it was kind of sophisticated. I thought that was kind of nice, you know, that she was bold enough, if you will, to have a few drinks and, and, and participate in the conversation. So I kind of liked it. Well, in six months, we were married. And again, it was a very, very uh, romantic relationship, uh, romantic wedding, romantic honeymoon, and remained romantic for a few more weeks. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, so, uh, Marianne, of course, drank, and it, uh, you know, we, we, when we were married, we had these same things, all married and romantic and loving couples have, that two can live as cheaply as one, you know, love conquers all, uh, never go to bed, uh, angry at one another, but rather make up and kiss when you go to bed. Well, that one didn't make it through the honeymoon, as a matter of fact, but... <laughs> So anyhow, on we went, and uh, that was when we were married. Now, uh, I, I want to talk about a particular weekend in our lives that was about, uh, oh, I don't know, about eight years after that, and where we had gotten. And we had gotten from that very romantic, loving relationship to one that what we knew most about the other person was how to punish them. We knew that. I mean, I knew how to punish her. She knew how to punish me. We, we knew what buttons to push, and we did it all the time all the time. We could do those. And uh, this one particular weekend, we had had a, uh, a fight the previous night, and these happen all the time, and they would last up to 12 hours, 14, 16 hours, face-to-face, -face, arguing, yelling, punishing, uh, all kinds of things, and uh, nothing ever seemed to be resolved. But this, and they happened on weekends because we had that much more time together, and so that much more of an opportunity to do it, so we did. Well, this, uh, this weekend I want to talk about, was, uh, there was a Saturday morning, and we had gone through one of these the night before. And uh, Saturday morning came around, as they do, and uh, we were sitting in the living room in what I call our uh, fighting chairs. Because we knew what was going to happen when we sat down in those chairs, we knew it, you know, and again, uh, the routine began. And Marianne sat there with a drink in her hand, and it so happened the week before, at church, we had signed up for a marriage enrichment and personal value seminar. And so uh, she sat down and I sat down and we were glaring at each other. And she says, we going to go to this thing? And I said, well, we signed up for it. We ought to go. She said, do you think it'll do any good? And I said, well, I decided we won't go. See, we were sort of both doing our thing. Marianne was always aggressively uh, a kind of uh, not attacking me exactly, but pushing, trying to find out some 
a solution to our marriage problem, whatever it was. We didn't know what it was. And I would duck and dodge, try to avoid all of the things, and I just didn't want things to be worse. You know, she would try to change them. I just didn't want them to get worse. And so we were doing our thing. And finally she said, you, you mean there's no hope for this relationship? And I said, well, we'll go. Okay. Uh, you know, I was being kind of passive-aggressive, you might say. And I, I realized that over the course of time that the more I agreed with her and the less I did what she wanted me to do, the better I liked it and the worse she, you know, she liked it. So anyhow, and I got to tell you about one other little uh, habit that Marianne had that used to drive me crazy. And, uh, uh, you know, it had... What it was was the way she would pull on a cigarette when she was really mad at me. It this <laughs> sound. And when I heard that sound, when I heard that sound, I knew she was going to come to get me. And I mean, I knew it. That was a clue that I just could never forget. So anyhow, we decided, all right, we're going to go to this thing. And so we got in the car, and it was about a 20-mile drive. And I was driving, and we were both very angry, not looking at one another. And I hear this <laughs> sound. And I just went over the top. I just blew it. And the way I would get back at her when I drove was to in and out of traffic, speed up, slow down, you know, make people wave the finger at me, whatever it is, because that got her very upset. And, of course, when I would do that, I would hear the <laughs> sound again, and it would make me even madder. And so we were in, uh, both of us, in a rage, and that's how we arrived at the Marriage Enrichment and Personal Values Seminar. And the first thing they had us do is that they had us do the personal values portion of it. And there were a bunch of couples there. And we sat down on, uh, on chairs similar to what you're sitting in. And there was, it was run by couples. There were other couples who apparently had solved their problems. And uh, I don't remember anything that went on. Nothing. I don't remember a word. Marianne and I were sitting next to each other. And we didn't, I know we didn't look at one another. I, I could sense that. I didn't look at her. And I didn't believe she was looking at me. And every so often I hear this sound, and I was so mad, and I was so upset. And I know I was, I was squeezing on the side of that chair. I swear I must have been bending it. I was so angry. Well, anyhow, finally this person of values portion was over, and the leaders there said, now we were going to begin the marriage enrichment part of it. Would we, pers would we separate into groups of four, two couples, preferably couples that did not know one another? And so, okay, so we went over, it was a card table, and we sat down, and another couple that we did not know sat down opposite us, and um, I don't know how to describe them except they were smiling and they looked nice. I honestly, God, believe they went there to have their marriage enriched. <laughs> and uh, we sat there, and I think they sensed something was wrong. And uh, we sat there, and it was utter silence. Then all of a sudden I heard this sound. And I blew it again. I said, oh, they wanted us to talk about what we wanted out of our marriage. And I said, all right, God damn it. I'll tell you what I want out of our marriage. I said, you don't uh, take me the way I am. You keep wanting to change me. You don't like anything about me. And Marianne said to me, you arrogant ass. She said, I, I, I accept you more than you accept me. And I said, you bitch. I said, you don't accept me. I said, you keep trying to change me. And she said, I don't keep trying to change you. She said, but... and." Uh, I accept you more than uh, you do me, but I wouldn't trust you as far as I can throw you. Well, anyhow, we probably went on for several minutes this way, and finally we ran out of gas, and uh, finally turned, and I looked at that other couple that was sitting facing us, and they had kind of squeezed their chairs together, and uh, uh, their jaws had just dropped. I mean, this was just absolutely astonishing to them. And, you know, at that very moment... I realized something. Up until that point, 
I thought that all couples did this. You know, I thought that in the privacy of their own homes, everybody did this type of thing. When I looked at them looking back at us, I realized that we were different, you know, and that we had never gone public quite this way before, but I realized that we were different. Well, anyhow, that's where we were probably after, you know, a number of years of this romantic relationship that got us into marriage, and we were this way all the time. You know, there was nothing unique about it, really. Uh, when Marianne, Marianne and I used to have long, lengthy uh, arguments, discussions, whatever you want to call them, you know, it was conflict all the time where we were uh, uh, essentially attempting to punish one another. And like I say, we did that. And the high point of my argument, or my evening when this would go on, was often when Marianne would pass out on the floor, you know, from drinking. Because I would think at that time that I knew this was going to happen. And if I ever wanted to feel superior, by God, it was then, you know, when she was unconscious on the floor and I was still awake. Well, anyhow, this one evening it happened, and, uh, you know, I fancied myself such a wonderful husband, I couldn't just let her lay there on the floor and sleep, you know, I said, I'll have to take her to bed, and so what I did, uh, our bedroom was on the first floor, and our fighting chairs were in the living room on the first floor, and so I just reached under her arms, and I dragged her to the bedroom, and I sat her on the floor by the edge of the bed, and then I reached underneath her knees and flipped her up in the air as high as I could. <laughs> As high as I could, and she did a sort of a half somersault, landed on the back of her neck on the bed, and you know she was unconscious this time, and gave me quite a rush. You know? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the next morning, uh, Marianne woke up, and she was remorseful as she often was after she drank, and she said, "Oh my God!" She says, "My neck hurts," and I said, "That's what happens when people drink too much." <laughs> and. Uh, I had no feelings of remorse, no feelings that I had done something I shouldn't have done. I felt great satisfaction, in fact, at the whole thing. So that's where I was, you know. Marianne was good with a knife. Uh, she, she, she used to come, and uh, I remember this one time I escaped from one of our arguments. And that didn't happen very often, you know. Most of the time, Marianne wanted to carry the argument to a conclusion. And they were never concluded, you know. But so anyhow, somehow I escaped. I don't know how that happened. But I got it, made it to the bedroom and into bed. And she came into the a doorway leading to the beds there. And she had this butcher knife in her hand. And she was driving it into the door jam. And she'd go clunk it and wiggle it out and then clunk. And she said, if you walk out in an argument one more time, you're going to wake up singing soprano. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, I, I truly didn't believe it. But God knows, you know. And... Uh, one of my techniques in an argument with Marianne was to, you know, I'm a big guy, and I would kind of puff up and loom over her and try to look intimidating, you know. And she kind of took care of that along the way when she, with, her, with her knife, you know, and she, she did it a few times, held it up against my chest, you know, I guess to let the air out. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and so she, I had my ways, she had her ways. Uh, and in fact, the strange thing was, in the foul, angry moods that I was in, I was hoping that she'd stick it in me one time because then it would give me an excuse to, you know, put her out. It's funny, you know, and I talk about craziness, and yet that's where we were. When we would get into an argument, first thing I would do is take the high moral ground. I mean, I'd make it clear right out of the chute that I was the most intelligent, I was the most moral, I had the highest ethics. You know, everything. And then Marianne, whatever's left, you know, she could have that. And I would do that every time. We got into an argument every time. Take that high moral ground. In fact, when we were 
When we were first married, when in this romantic phase of our life, Marianne used to call me her white knight. And I liked that. <laughs> you know, I mean, that was nice. And I think she really, really meant that. I was her white knight, that I had rescued her from singleness, I guess, loneliness, gave her security and all that type of thing. I was, I was kind of proud of that. Well, after a couple of years into it, she used to call me St. John. Well, I had mixed feelings about that one, you know. Uh, I, I, I believe there was some truth in it, but on the other hand, you know. And finally, after a few years, she used to call me Jesus Christ himself. Well, I, I knew that wasn't a compliment, you know. I was smart enough to figure that out, that she wasn't really complimenting me. I found out later, after some uh, sobriety for Marianne and some time in the Al-Anon program for me, uh, and, and I used to carry around a cartoon, and it was a cartoon, and I picked this up before alcohol ever came into our life. And on a cartoon, it was a picture of two knights in shining armor. I guess I must have related to it. And they were looking at each other, and they were on horses. They were smiling, and they had the horses had the beautiful trappings, and they were smiling at one another, and the one was saying to the other, life is so perfect when you know you're always right. And you know, I don't know why I kept that, but that was where I was. I found out later on that Marianne used to carry around a cartoon, and I didn't know about it. And this cartoon was of husband and wife in bed, apparently husband and wife, and the husband was sleeping. He had his eyes closed. The wife was lying awake and looking up toward heaven with her eyes wide open, and it said, please, God, give Mr. Perfect just one little fault. <laughs> so uh, there we were. That's what we did, and we did that for quite a number of years. There's our romantic relationship, and... Uh, we used to have some really uh, devastating arguments. I mean, they hurt a lot for both of us, and I know that. And believe me, I participated in that as much as she did. And I remember this one Sunday, we had a devastating argument again, and she got up and she walked away from it, which was very unusual. She never did that. You know, as I said before, she liked, wanted to carry it to a conclusion. And she left me sitting there in my fighting chair, and I was all upset, shaking, you know, breathing heavily. And I got that eerie feeling. She had gone into the bedroom and slammed the door shut. And I, I just got up and I went into it and I opened the door and Marianne was laying on the bed unconscious. She had an empty bottle that contained some type of pill in it, apparently, and she had emptied that. And I remember very well my reaction to that. My first reaction was, damn you, damn you, damn you. Why did you do this? And then uh, my second reaction was, if I don't do anything, all my problems will be over. That's, that's what I felt. And my third reaction was, and nobody will be able to hold me responsible. It won't be my fault. And that's what ran through my mind. You know, I hesitated at the doorway there while uh, Marianne was in danger of passing away. But again, that's where we were. Uh, so, uh, went to a uh, mixed table once. This is, I'm kind of jumping ahead in the, uh, my story here, but... Uh, Mixed Aladon and AA, and they asked us to talk about the uh, most insane moment of our lives. And I know, and I think at the time I thought about it, and I said, well, when I hesitated at the doorway with Marianne in danger of dying, and almost getting to the point where I was going to allow her to do it, and the second, but I realized that that wasn't really all that insane when you think about it. Where we were was in such a bad place that that was probably a fairly logical thing to think. But the insanity of it, the most insanity, was my last thought when I said that if I don't do anything, all my problems will be over. 
you know, did I had that in my mind, my problems would be over. You know, the insanity of that, that is, life would all of a sudden become golden without Marianne in it. Well, anyhow, uh, just to go on further, Marianne and I were triers. And we did this in the moments when we were civil with one another. We tried all kinds of things. We went to uh, uh, psychiatrists and psychiatrists and social workers and uh, marriage uh, counselors, and we went to a marriage encounter, and we tried uh, astronomer, astrologers, and all kinds of stuff. We did uh, you know, all kinds of things to solve the marriage problem. This was it. We didn't identify what it was. We didn't know what it was. The marriage problem. We went to all of these type of things. And uh, what Marianne would do, with all of these things is that, uh, or we would do the same thing every time. We'd go to the professional, whatever, whatever their background was, and Marianne would state her case. I would state my case. Marianne would have a rebuttal. I would have a rebuttal, and then we'd sit there and look at this professional to give us a decision: who was right, who was wrong. You know, that's that's what we were looking for: who was right and who was wrong. And I had become very good at this. I mean, I was I knew what they wanted. And I was able to, you know, I was able to give it to them, to the professional. I was phony as hell. I, like I say, I knew what would satisfy them. And inevitably, they would come down on my side, you know, that I would be the one that they would favor. And really, that was so unfair in a lot of respects because uh, Marianne, like I say, was aggressive in what she tried to resolve. And because of that, some of the things she did sounded bizarre, and some of them were. But on the other hand, she had a lot of good things that she was trying to say that we should do that I would ignore because everybody always agreed with me, you know, because I, I knew how to do it. And uh, I got to tell you a little episode where it was a kind of a coincidence. Uh, at this phase in our marriage, we were trying the religious <laughs> solution to the problem. And uh, we had gone to an elderly Catholic priest. And we gave him the whole bit, you know, the whole thing we went through, you know, uh, her side, my side, rebuttal, rebuttal. Mm. Then we, a week later, out of the phone book, Mary Ann picked a young black Baptist minister in downtown Detroit. We went to him. Same thing. Boom, 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 boom. And the funny thing was, both these guys were real nice. He was young. The priest was old. The priest was single, I guess. <laughs> and the, uh, the uh, uh, you know, the black minister was, uh, was uh, young and married. Well, anyhow, a lot, they were all different. But we went and we talked to these guys, and strangely enough, they both came up with the same... I guess you'd say advice. You know, it wasn't solution. Maybe they thought it was, but the most advice. And after this whole episode, what they both said, they both quoted from the Bible, and they both said, wife, be submissive to your husband. <laughs> oh, God, did I love that. Oh, my God, that was so good. Oh, you know, that was just so wonderful. I, what more could I have asked for? And... Uh, you know, and I knew Marianne wasn't going to be submissive. You know, that's just not her style. And I remember, but she was so mad both times, and I was giggling in the car going home, particularly the last one. And Marianne, when she would get real mad at me when your car, she'd say, let me out. Well, I wanted to let her out while the car was still moving. And in fact, I was a little slow, but I was going to get out. And uh, so there we are. Well, one day I was at work during these things going on, and I got a phone call, and... Uh, from Garden City Hospital. Garden City is a suburb of Detroit. And they asked me my name, and I said yes, and they said Marianne had admitted herself. And I said, for what? They said, for alcoholic addiction. And we had, I had never dreamt that alcohol was the problem. It was always around, but it wasn't the problem. 
And, but when she said that, I remember very well the initial impact it had on me that I believe that in doing that, Marianne had done something that took more courage than anything I had done in my whole life. I really believe that, and I still believe that now. Well, anyhow, this is what started me on this path that I'm on now. And uh, first time I went to the hospital, uh, Marianne, she took to it marvelously. I mean, really, she loved AA from the moment she went. You know, she felt that it was exactly the place she had to be with the people she was supposed to be with. And uh, she told me when I visited her after a while, and she said, they're having an Al-Anon meeting on Sunday night. It's running concurrently with the AA meeting. Do you want to go? I said, no. <laughs> no. Next week, same thing happened. Another meeting, Sunday night, running the same time as the AA meeting. Do you want to go? <laughs> no. Third week it happened. Well, she's getting out on Tuesday. She asked me one more time, do you want to go? It's the last chance. And I said, all right, I'll go. And so I did. <laughs> and so my adventure begins. And uh, I remember going uh, prior to the meeting and trying to figure out, now, how am I going to tell the alcoholics from the regular people? And when I went to the hospital, <laughs> when I went to the hospital, I found out how, uh, really, the alcoholics, they had a cigarette in one hand, coffee in the other, and were wearing bathrobes. And I said, gee, this is easy. You know? And... Uh, well, while I was, uh, that was in the uh, kitchen with Marianne and a group of alcoholics. And uh, the announcement came over the loudspeaker. It said, uh, you know, the meetings are commencing now in the basement. Everybody go. And so, all right, we all got up and went. And we went to the elevator. And the elevator was one of these that uh, when it went down, you come in the one door and you exit the other side. And right away I was disoriented. I hate hospitals anyhow. And got down to the basement, and we're going to be, we're marching down this long hallway. And I, oh, geez, it was typical basement, you know, I mean, pipes and tubes and people working and gray paint and all that type of thing. And I figured there's me leading my alcoholic army because they were all coming along with me. And way down there, there was a woman. She was standing next to two doors that were side by side. And uh, we marched up there, and everybody in the bathrobes went into the first one, and that left me out there. And she said, are you an Al-Anon? And I said, I don't know. And she said, go in here. Okay, so I went into this room. And, it, and I remember, there were only, it turned out there were only five of us for that meeting. So it was relatively empty. A lot of people in the AA room. And I went in there and I said, oh my God, it is so hot in here. It must be 100 degrees. It was so smoky, I couldn't see and I couldn't breathe because the smoke was coming in underneath the curtain that separated the two rooms. And oh, it is so hot and so noisy. I couldn't, couldn't hear anything. Well, anyhow, I went in there and sat down. And the woman, I, I, first, I sat down next to her. And she happened to be in a bathroom, but she was a patient in the hospital. But she was there, and it so happened her boyfriend was going to the AA meeting next door. And so she was coming to support him. And we talked a little bit, and I found out she couldn't finish a sentence. She was very heavily sedated, you know. And I, we would say something, and she'd get halfway through, and she could, well, one time, in fact, uh, we were, she was saying something, and her head actually dropped down and bopped on the table. Well, that was the first woman I met in Al-Anon. And uh, the second person there was apparently the leader of this thing, because she was standing and kind of giving a little directions, and she was so nervous. She was wound so tight. She was making me nervous, and she was obviously going to just keel over at any time uh, on the floor. She was just, oh, my God, she was nervous. The third person was a woman sitting on my left, and... Um, she agreed with what the speaker said, and then I would contradict the speaker, and she'd agree with what I said. You know, she agreed with anything anybody said. 
And there was the, uh, the fourth person in the room was my touch with reality. I mean, thank God he was there. You know, I felt that there might be just a little bit of sanity here. It was a, a middle-aged guy sitting by the door, and he was wearing a tweed sport coat and smoking a pipe. And everybody knows pipe smokers are serene and calm and intelligent. You know, you all know that, don't you? And I said, thank God he's here. You know, I mean, there's a little bit of sensibility here. Anyhow, so the meeting went on, and gee, did I hate it. Oh, God, I hated it. And with only five of us in a room, it seemed to be going on forever. And uh, I guess we were about halfway through the hour, and a nurse came to the door. And she said, uh, she excused herself, and she said, a woman in the AA meeting next door had become ill, a patient. And she said, would one of the gentlemen escort her to her room? And I guess she felt it was better to take someone on Al-Anon than out of AA meeting. All right, that, that was okay. And I said, thank God. You know, and I was starting to scramble to my feet, and that son of a bitch in the tweed coat beat me to the door. <laughs> and when I, watched, when I saw his back go out that door, I said, I know he's not coming back. <laughs> you know, yeah. Well, anyhow, the meeting went on and on, and gee, I hated it. I can't tell you how much I hated that meeting. And for only five, well, there were four now in the room there. It lasted so long. In fact, the AA meeting next door ended before ours did. And uh, when ours was done, finally, we were leaving, and Marianne was waiting for me at the door, and she said, well, how'd you like it? And I go, <laughs> I said, it's 100 degrees. And I was saying to myself, it's 100 degrees in there. I can't see, I can't breathe because of the smoke. It's so noisy I can't hear anybody. There's a woman here who can't stay awake long enough to finish a sentence. There's a woman who's going to die at any minute. This woman agrees with everyone, anything anyone says, and there's a guy who escaped at the first opportunity. <laughs> and I said, I said it was like an evening with the Adams family. <laughs> and that's, that's really what I got. As we walked down that long hallway to go back, I said, I am never, 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 never going to go to another Al-Anon meeting. And that's where I was. And I want you to understand, when I said that little story, it, it sounds like I went into this thing uh, absolutely devoid of any sympathy or any understanding or any willingness to learn or and, uh, ready to hold the people in contempt and everything. And if you think that, you're right. That's uh, And I did. And, you know, and basically what it did was the way I looked at it, it confirmed all of these things, you know, and so I said I was never going to go back again. Well, Marianne went to her AA meetings when she got out. She went a lot. You know, she went at least once a day, many times more than once a day. And, uh, and she was changing, you know, and when she was going, I, I wasn't comfortable with all the changes, but she was going. And uh, I realized that when she was drinking, I was a martyr to her drinking. Now I've become a martyr to her sobriety because I was telling her, go, go, go to the meetings. I'll cook. I'll take care of our son. I'll clean the house. I'll go, 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 go. And so she did. You know, she went to all of the meetings. And my, again, I, I wasn't exactly angry about this, but I was kind of uncomfortable and it just bothered me some. And it was bothering me to the point that I'd punch the wall or something like that. And I didn't, wasn't it her? I didn't know. Uh, you know, whatever. And uh, it turned out that Marianne's doctor, who treated her in, uh, in Garden City Hospital through her, asked me to come and see him. Okay, so I went to see him. And he said, John, how you doing? I said, I'm doing fine. I said, God damn it, why shouldn't I do fine? Marianne's not drinking, I'm just great. He said, now come on, John. He said, uh, sit down, let's talk about this. He said, you know, when you and Marianne were in this real bad place, he said, you two 
knew that if one pushed this way, the other one would push back. You knew what was going to happen. And all of this type of thing, you acted this way, they would react this way. And they said it was, he said it was bad. It was uncomfortable. It was nasty. But you had developed a certain sense of equilibrium, and you knew where the other person was going to come from. You understood each other in that point. And so therefore he said, Marianne is changing and you're not. And so this equilibrium is all affected. And I, realized, I thought about that a little, and I said, you know, this is probably the first thing I've heard that makes sense to me. And I got to admit, what he said probably did do something as far as getting me to meetings. Well, anyhow, Marianne continued to go, and uh, uh, just one day she came home, and she said she was bringing someone, someone to see me. And I said, oh, God, they come door to door now. <laughs> and... Uh, Oh my God, I, this is just, and I said, I'm going to get this guy, because he's going to talk about Alan, and I'm going to get him, I said, I'm not, you know, and if I can get him to contradict himself, or to say something ridiculous, or stupid, or, you know, make an ass out of himself, I would never, that would be it, I would never, never have to go to meeting. Well, sure enough, that evening he did. He happens to be sitting right here, in the baseball hat here, Bob Nains, who was just a great friend of ours since that time, but at the time, he was an enemy walking in the door. He had a strong, he's an AA, not Al-Anon, but he had a strong belief that uh, recovery in a relationship required the participation of both people. You know, Al-Anon, AA, he was a strong believer. He still is in that, very strong believer. So he came to the door, and boy, I was going to get that guy. And he came in, he had a book under his arm. And he sat down in Mary Ann's fighting chair, and I said, good. <laughs> good. <laughs> that, that's just where he belongs. And uh, so... Uh, I got into it, and I, I really did what I said I was going to do. I was just attacking and attacking, and he was going to—he was going to look like an idiot, whatever it was. And I was never, never, never going to have to go to another Alamon meeting. Well, uh, <laughs> I still don't understand how it happened. But when he was leaving, uh, after this was all over, he said, "Well, he said my his sponsor was giving a talk the next evening, and he was going to drive him. And he said he thought it would be a good idea if Marianne and I would go with him to that meeting." I still don't know how this happened. But the next night, and this was in December, and I remember sitting in the back of this car, and the snowflakes were falling down. And I remember very softly, beautiful evening, I remember sitting in the back of that car with my nose against the window, and I was thinking, I said, you know, I'm sitting in, I'm the only sane person in the square mile. I'm sitting in this, I'm sitting in this car with three crazy alcoholics, and they're taking me somewhere to shape me up. <laughs> you know? and, so that was my introduction to a, uh, the first uh, open talk from AA. So uh, Marianne, you know, she went to her meetings, and I still kind of stayed away. And, but, you know, I, I was getting a little interested, I guess. Marianne came home one day from a meeting, and she said, you know, and we, we weren't sitting in our fighting chairs. We sat in the kitchen, uh, and uh, we're chatting about it. And she said, you know, John, you're, not, not, you're no longer number one in my life. I said, what? You know, what? And she said, well, she said, sobriety's got to be number one. She said that I've, without sobriety, I have nothing to give you. I have nothing to give myself, you know, nothing to grow with. And she said, it's got to be number one. And I remember at that time I said what I had dreamed was, for God's sakes, the, the uh, uh, slogan of Al-Anon, you know, after all I've done for you, this is what you're doing for me. And I swear, that's really what I thought it was. After all I've done for you, this is it. I, and, uh, well, anyhow, we got through that. And uh, this other time, uh, she dropped another little bomb, and she said, or I, I asked her, I said, how long is this going to go on? 
She said, it's a lifetime program. And I said, lifetime, lifetime program? I said, Marianne, for God's sakes, tell me it's a year, tell me it's five years, tell me it's 20 years, but I would like some time in my life to spend with real people. <laughs> so, uh, anyhow, somewhere along the line, I, you know, I said, I don't know what motivated me to go to a regular, if you want to call it that, LMN meeting, but... And I guess I do know what the reason was. And the reason was that I knew Marianne was going to drink. I mean, I knew it. We had gone to all of these professionals, you know, and uh, I mean, these guys are well-educated. These women were well-educated. They knew their stuff. It had never worked before. And I knew she was going to drink. By the way, she never has since that first time. She has never had another drink. But anyhow, I knew she was going to drink. And so the reason I went to the Elanon meeting was so that when she did drink, no one would be able to point their finger at me and say she drank because I didn't give her the proper support in the program. That was why I went. And I've heard it said many times, it really doesn't matter what gets you there, the important thing is that it got you there. And that's really what it was. You know, not very perfect, but it's what got me to the meeting. And I remember one of the first few tables I sat at, sat at and uh, I was trying to make myself, you know, a little, <laughs> trying to hide. I, I, leave me alone, you know, I just was trying to uh, stay out of the way and this one older woman kept looking at me. And finally, when it came her turn to talk, she said, you, and she pointed at me, have got to get rid of that anger problem. And I wanted to leap to my feet and twist that finger off and say, you old bat, I don't have an anger problem. You know, I, the problem in my life is Mary Ann. I said, I'm willing to agree that I'm frustrated, but I don't have an anger problem. And the funny thing is, I didn't think I did. You know, I thought I was frustrated, and I, honest to God, did not think I had an anger problem and that Marianne was a problem in my life. And this woman saw it right away. You know, it must have been so evident, I must have been like wearing it across my forehead, anger, you know, something like that. So anyhow, things went on, and uh, oddly enough, I started to enjoy the meetings, the tables. I, I realized that there was some substance to these things, you know, that I, I you know, I honestly got started to enjoy them. And uh, I must have had about this much of a willingness to learn that much, no more. You know, I didn't have, I had maybe just a little bit, but it was enough. It was just enough that they could, you know, they could talk to me and they could teach me. And boy, I just, then I started to leap into this thing with both feet. I really got into it. You know, I uh, read the big book and I studied all the steps and I knew them. Uh, and I, uh, I was able, you know, I figured I was able to help anyone who walked in the door. You know, by this time I had, you know, God on my shoulder and I had learned the secret of life and hey, I could help anybody, you know, it was just that. And uh, I got so good, in fact, that one day I went in there and I said, the serenity prayer is all wrong. And it was, it was all women at the table and they kind of looked at me, you know, like, well, okay. Well, the prayer says we should accept the things we cannot change, courage to, think, uh, to, uh, courage to change the things we can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And I said, obviously... You've got to know the difference before you can do one of the first two right. And they all looked at me, and then they looked at one another, and then they looked back at me, and they said, Good, John, good, keep coming. You know, and that was it. <laughs> and those women were kind of diabolical, because I used to go in there, and uh, at that time, it was me and all women. You know, there'd be 30 women and me, or 18 women and me, and 20 women and me. And I used to tell them, I can't go, women are different than men, I can't go to these things, they're all, I want to go to one where there's men, you know, men talk differently, we have a different way, you know, and I want to go there. And so they kept sending me to different meetings. They said, hey, there's men at this meeting, so I'd go and there'd be one man. Go to another, uh, you know, send me to another meeting, no men, 
you know, and all these things. And uh, I kept going, and there were never any men. And the darn diabolical women kept sending me, and I kept going to meetings. <laughs> I wasn't even sure why, but they knew what they were doing. So uh, uh, I guess Marianne and I started discussing things which became uh, significant in our lives. One of the things that uh, she would learn at the AA, or people would tell her about these things at the AA, and we'd come home and we'd talk about them, which is something we never did before. We, we didn't talk. When we talked, we yelled at one another, we argued, we fought, we attempted to do all these things, and uh, uh, never understood a word the other person was saying. Just never did. And what we realized that uh, uh, one of the things was that to truly communicate, to really talk to one another, you need a common language. Boy, that meant a lot, because we never had a common language before. Yeah, we both spoke English, but a brand of English that neither one of us understood. When we came into the respective programs, since the 12 steps are the same, since the big book belongs to both, you know, and all of the rules and the slogans and so forth, we actually began to communicate. We used to talk about these things you know, and what our ideas and what our thoughts were and all that type of thing. And we began to communicate. She came back with another thing one day, and she said, in a, a happy relationship requires two happy people. Well, you know, that sounds so simple. I mean, what's so uh, profound about that? And yet, that's exactly what it is. It requires two happy people. I always considered myself to be the happy one, and I was going to make her happy no matter what. And it wasn't going to work that way. You know, you need two happy people, willing to be happy and... Uh, uh, came back with another thing that in order for a, a relationship to survive and even grow, it had to happen in an atmosphere of justice. Gee, that was a good one. See, because I had always taken this high moral ground, the superior position, and as much as I wanted to be the superior one in our relationship, I realized that that wasn't just, you know. I had to realize along the line that uh, justice requires that we be equal, that we honor and respect the other person's views, their values, their, and all these things, you know, these things. And uh, as simple as that phrase sounded, you know, it, uh, it finally meant something when we talked about it. It means something to me now. And also that, for example, that the, another little thing was that the least interested person in a relationship is the one that controls it. It's not the most interested, it's the least interested. That's why it's so, and I was the least interested. Marianne, for all of whatever she did, she wanted to do something, aggressively do something. And I was the one holding back that didn't want it to be any worse. And so really, uh, I was the one, rather than her, who was actually holding back any kind of growth in our relationship because I didn't want the pain to get any worse than it was. And so, you know, really, I learned a lot of things. And I learned to touch in the program. Oh, boy, we used to hold hands, say the Lord's Prayer at the end of the meeting. Oh, gee, I hated that. I really didn't like it. And yet I learned along the way how valuable and how good touch is, not only physical but emotional. And I learned to touch people and have them touch me, allow them to touch me, and that was so nice. And I learned that through the element program. So, uh, you know, a lot of changes occurred, uh, and it only took 25 years. <laughs> and, uh, but... Uh, Marianne and I went through a period of peace, and uh, because of the drinking wasn't there, because we were trying to grow, we went through end growth. But the fact is, we kind of stalled out. I don't know what it was. After five years, we just seemed to lose interest in one another. We went to meetings, but just didn't seem to have the same impact that they used to. And we split a talk one night. Marianne did a half an hour, and I did a half an hour. And at this meeting in Dearborn, among other things, she said that she forgave me. 
And I remember at the end of this meeting, a friend of mine, a man in Al-Anon, rushed up to me. He said, what on earth is she forgiving you for? She's the one who did all this stuff. Why is she forgiving you? And I said, well, you know, I was brushing off. Yeah, well, that's all right. And yet the fact of the matter is I was wondering, what the hell is she forgiving me for? You know, I was the good one in this relationship. Why is she forgiving me? But I went home that time. And for one, you know, I have a habit of looking in the dictionary when words like that come up. And I, I looked up to forgive, to forgive. And it was the second definition. And it, what it said was to cease to hold a resentment against for an offense, whether real or imagined. To cease to hold resentment for, against the person for an offense, whether real or imagined. What she was saying, she was not going to resent me anymore. Wow, what a great thing to say. You know, considering all of the things that had taken place in our relationship, she was just not going to hold a resentment anymore. And I think that was terrific. And it really had a big impact on my program because... As hard as it is to say, you know, to try to, uh, uh, to admit that you have resentments that go back, they do. <laughs> and I guess I did. So uh, from that point on, a lot of our, uh, you know, a lot of my program was involved in ceasing to hold a resentment for offenses real or imagined. And the fact is that some of them are imagined. Some of these offenses that we, that we do to one another, they actually are imagined. They aren't real. Some are real. But in any event, to forgive is to let them all go. Uh, I remember in one of our, in the Al-Anon book, it was at the bottom of one of the pages. And I can't remember the page number right now. Uh, it was 134 or 112 coming to my mind. But they had a phrase down there that had a terrific impact on me. And uh, what it said, it's a quote from the Bible somewhere. And it says, if thou be wise, thou shalt be wise for thyself. And what that means to me is you can be smart, you can be educated, you can be all kinds of things, well-read, but you're not wise until you're wise about yourself. And that's one thing that I did not have. I always thought I was wise. I was wise about Marianne. I was wise about her drinking. I knew this and that and the other thing. I didn't know myself at all. At one of our tables one day, a woman asked me, she says, uh, what makes you happy? And honest to God, I didn't know the answer. What makes me happy? I said, well... Uh, if Marianne doesn't drink, I guess that'll make me happy. Well, she didn't drink, and it didn't make me happy. You know, I mean, it didn't do make me happy. That was things that I had to find out. And in fact, when I finally got to the uh, fourth step there, I think that the one that had a real help me in my program was where uh, I found out what makes me happy, what really makes me happy, what really fulfills me, what really makes it worthwhile, and what is just incidental. Separating those was very important to me, and that did a lot for me in my fourth step to find out the real impact on me, not what other people would think, but what I felt you know here. So I think that along the way too, I, uh, in that fourth step process, I, I found out a character defect which was a lot of people maybe even wonder about. Maybe some other people come up with the same one. But the thing that affected my relationships, that damaged them the most, that harmed most between Marianne and me, was an unwillingness to learn, uh, to change, an unwillingness on my part to change. And I did have that. I had an unwillingness to change. It was probably because I was afraid of change, I suppose. You know, I don't know why else I'd be so unwilling to change. And I had to become willing to change. I had to realize that even though change generally causes pain, that the pain of the change is less than the pain of not changing. And I had to realize that. Well, you know, one of those things that, boom, you know, it really struck home. Anyhow, by doing this type of thing, I also realized that I could find uh, what was lacking in my relationships, and that was an intimacy. 
Marianne and I talk now, and I, I guess even when I was still single way back there, I always craved a sort of an intimacy that just wasn't there. And one of the reasons it wasn't there is because uh, my superior attitude, if you will. I mean, it was very clear in our relationship, I was here and Marianne was here. Now, how do you get intimate that way? How do you do it? You know? And I wanted it real bad. And I think that one of the things that has taken place is that Marianne and I, over the course of years, have, uh, you know, have learned to accept and trust one another to a much greater degree than we ever did in those days. And because of that, the intimacy is there. You know, that you can do it. You know, finally, we put our lives into, a, into such a situation that we made it uh, possible for us to be intimate. So, I wanted to, um, oh, I just wanted to just say one thing. This is, I never talk about this, but I just wanted to mention it right now. It's kind of out of place. But some, for some reason, uh, uh, about a week ago, a woman that I knew in a program for a lot of years, Helen P., maybe some of you who are involved in service know her from Dearborn, and... Uh, I admire her a lot. You know, she really works in the Ellen program a lot. And we sat down at the table, and there were some newcomers, and she told those people how important I was to her. You know? And she said that I'm the one who brought her back, and I couldn't understand this, because my impression of Helen the first time she came was that she scared me. She was so angry. In fact, I had made up the decision in my mind that she was never going never gonna to make it in this program. You know? Anyhow, uh, she said that, that how important I was, and it made me think. And then I have Bob sitting here in front of me. And as we get older, we think sometimes that, uh, well, how have I left my mark on the world? You know, what have I done? I think those of us, all of us sitting here, and everyone in the two programs, if we have shared the secrets of our heart with someone, we've left our mark. Simple as that. That was the only comment. Well, anyhow, in the course of my, um, my life, and again, this was probably before I was married and probably somewhat afterwards, I didn't kneel down and do this and pray for it, but I think I yearned for something, which is sort of a prayer. And I wanted a place where I could go where people would accept me and they would trust me and uh, uh, they would uh, respect me and I could do the same things to them and that they would provide for my needs, help me when I needed help, help me to, be, you know, to learn things as I went along. And I guess I always prayed for a place like that. Well, anyhow, having said that, I want to tell you about a valentine that Marianne sent me one time, a number of years into the program. And God, I wish I had it here, but I left it at home. And what it was was a red card, and on the card there was a big hippopotamus blue, and sitting on the hippopotamus was a, a red bird, and there was a heart coming out of it. And it said, Valentine, you are the answer to my prayers. And then when he opened it up, it says, you're not what I prayed for exactly, but apparently you're the answer. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, uh, and I look at you sitting out here, who are my friends, even though many I haven't met, and I say, you're not what I prayed for exactly, but apparently you're the answer. 